John Cheney, Hall of Famer, one of my mentors, and, and I don't know if there's anybody I respect more than you. Uh, our lives have, have been interwoven for so many times, from 25th and Diamond to 4th and Chunk and the Eastern League and so forth. John, let, let, let's talk a little bit about John Cheney, the life and times of, of John Cheney. You, you were born and raised in what people uh, captured in as the Black Bottom in Florida, down in the Jacksonville area. Talk to us a little bit of what was life like for John Cheney in those days and what I guess was a segregated uh, Florida. Well, I think, you know, it was perhaps uh, the basis for who I am today and, and, and what I feel so strongly about. I was uh, born in a, in, a, in a place uh, in Jacksonville where it was called Black Bottom. And uh, we were living in a, in a, in a little home uh, where when it rained, it, it, the water would come into, you know, we couldn't have rugs because the water would come into the, uh, from the back porch all the way in and frogs would be in the house. Uh, so it was a really, you talk about abject poverty. Uh, and, uh, you know, living in that kind of environment, whatever I was to be or whatever I could be or anybody else, you had to make a choice uh, whether it was going to be that or something else. And whatever that something else was, it had to be better than what, uh, what I found myself in uh, living there. And uh, I was there with a brother and a sister and a stepfather. I don't know who my father was uh, at the time, and I still don't. Uh, but uh, I saw all kinds of things. We go to a movie called The Ritz, and I think they just re redid The Ritz. I think it's still there uh, on State Street. And I can remember my mom one night telling us to get in the house because down the street I could see a cross burning with uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And we would all hide underneath the bed uh, uh, at that time. And that was a very, very difficult time. Uh, I, it, the Second World War, as I can remember, uh, during those times had come about. My uncle had gone to war and he felt that things were going to be different because by going to the war, which they had, uh, they didn't allow blacks, really, uh, you know, fully didn't accept them in the war. Things didn't change until Truman was in there, I guess, where uh, both the airmen and uh, from Tuskegee, I can remember a situation of that kind, but that's when uh, we found that they were not served right. They fought and they went in there to, to gain equality, really. That's what they were looking for, blacks. Uh, and I guess that's the difference between then and now in so many ways because this is a, this is a volunteer service that we have now. But then everybody, everybody believed that a slip of the lip would sink a ship. Everybody believed that if you serve the United States uh, war, if you fought in the war, uh, you could possibly 
find yourself in, in a better place when when they came back. Uh, that's when we'd all crowd in the room when uh, a person like a Sugar Ray Robinson, who was a hero, or Joe Lewis was our hero. We didn't have no television, so everybody in the block would go into one room and sit around uh, the, uh, the radio. We'd be looking at the radio like you look at television today. And I can remember Stone, a guy that he, when he when he was fighting what they call a bum a week, uh, a, a bum a month, whatever, because he fought more than anybody as a heavyweight. That's how they got him on taxation so much. But the thing about it is, is that we sit there, and I can remember fighting a guy who named by the name of Big Tony Galento, and he just like he'd come out of a bar. He was robust and everything. And I can remember in the first round, he comes out, and I remember just like yesterday, he comes out, and my God, he, he hits Lewis, knocks Lewis down, and there, the crowd, you can hear the crowd going, ah, and we were crying, oh, he's down, he's down, crying, and then we hear, and still the heavyweight champion of the world, Joe Lewis, the big bomber. He got up off the floor and knocked him out. But he was our hero. We didn't have baseball, so we had to listen to uh, things about Jackie Robinson. I can remember when he won the batting titles. I think it was 342 at that time. So we, we had to believe in things because the greatest thing that happened to us is that we always had hope. I came up at a time when... Uh, People were fighting for hope. All of them were fighting for hope. Even a great white uh, senator, Thaddeus Stevens, who's right here in Gettysburg, he had harbored some slaves that had come from the South. He fought for them. In fact, he fought Lincoln because he didn't think Lincoln had done enough at the time. But these were some of the people that I respected and, and thought of were heroes because I'd always looked, at, looked back at one of my earlier heroes, which was uh, the great uh, black from Rutgers. The greatest athlete was All-American, Paul Rose. He was the guy that we thought of and looked at as somebody that we could revere. And, and believe it or not, he was somebody who fought for our rights earlier. In fact, he ended up going to Russia because he was just so upset over this country. But it was a time when so much happened that happened before Martin Luther King and many of our other heroes came about. But that's the way we develop hope John, from those guys. <coughs> and in all of this, John, somewhere in there, you acquired the the nickname as a youngster, Cherokee. How did, how did that come about? Well, <clears throat> that came about in uh, when, I, when, when, when my stepfather came here. He came here because of the war. Mm -hmm. One year before we came to Philadelphia from Jacksonville. And at that time, if you were serving in, uh, a, war, in a war plant, if you were making war supplies, if you were working, he came here to work in Sun Shipyards in Chester. Working there, he wasn't going to be drafted. So he was running from Jacksonville to come where all the shipbuilding was since he was a carpenter. 
and worked there and sent for us one year later. Your classification was one in which you weren't going to be drafted if you were working in war plans at the time, serving your country during a, a time of war. So he came and uh, sent for us one year later. And that's when we came uh, to, uh, to, to Philadelphia one year after he'd been here. And uh, I then started playing basketball. Uh, couldn't even put on, I had my knee pads on backwards. I can remember the guys picking at me uh, because I had them on backwards. I didn't know what I was doing. But finally, I did pretty good in junior high school at Barrett Junior High. I went to Ben Franklin. In 1951, I was voted the best player in the state here, in all public, most valuable player and everything in this city. In fact, they gave me a 21-year-old Hamilton watch at that time. They don't, they don't give that anymore. But uh, I can remember uh, getting that. Uh, getting that award, Tom Golan was the best player in the Catholic League. And he was a four-time All-American mm -hmm. in the city. And uh, he's in the Hall of Fame also. Uh, LaSalle. Yeah, from LaSalle. And uh, I remember Tommy coming in, and I had my daddy's suit on. Big old wide, I was skinny, almost like this. Had my daddy's suit on to get my award. And I was scared. I was... I, those, those zoot suits, they're wearing them now, yeah. double-breasted, right? Yeah. Well, that went around me twice almost, and a big old flapjack tie, and that little peanut head of mine. And I went in the bathroom, and I remember Tommy coming, come on, they're going to take our picture, John, get out of there. I was standing up on the toilet like this with my feet up, so no one knew where I was. But I can remember that picture of us, and many others was on there, Fanner and, and, uh, and, and so many other great players uh, were... Uh, was on, the, uh, on that picture uh, of, of all public and all interactive and all Catholic. But uh, in high school, because my the balls of my face was like this, sunk in, they called me Cherokee because I looked like somewhat in their impression was that it was I was an Indian. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I may have had Indian uh, qualities. Well, you probably I had a little Indian blood in yeah. <laughs> You've been a damn warrior all your life. I yeah, know I was, that. I was, I was, I was honoring. In fact, the award uh, that I got that night, it was said that because I had, uh, I remember being called a foul. I fouled the guy because it was, I was someone. Boy, you, you I, I'm gonna play you. Chest to chest, you gotta go through me. There's no way you going around me. And if you do, I'm damn sure gonna foul you. Uh, you know, especially if I know you can shoot. <laughs> but. <laughs> But I can remember distinctly me that year having changed my life. It was important. And they named the award after a guy named Abe Abrams. He, ref he was an old referee. They still have that award today for these kids. And uh, he was refereeing the game. And I can remember me spitting after a foul called me. Not spitting on him, anybody. I just took a spit because I was so pissed off. At the foul that was called on me, and uh, Eve Evans, they threw me out the game. But that was early in the season. That in itself transformed my life because he came in the dressing room that later on, uh, doing that at the end of that game to tell me that uh, I had a chance uh, to become a great player if I, you know, if I just went on from then on, good behavior.
good attitude. And then when I was a model citizen and I uh, ended up playing extremely well the rest of the year. And that was a story that he told when he presented me with the watch for Most Valuable Player, how I had gone from bad to being good. And now 80 years old, I'm, I'm bad again. So, <laughs> so here you are, you, you're the player of the year in the public schools in Philadelphia. A lot of people probably don't understand back in those days, neither the public schools or the Catholic schools participated in the state championship uh, uh, tournament. But here you are, the player of the year in the public schools, and yet uh, Villanova, Temple, LaSalle, Penn, St. Joe's, none of them offered you a scholarship. Did, uh, did that bother you, John, that, that, that none of them offered you a scholarship? I think that during that time, the only thing that an athlete, especially black athletes, wanted to do was just to play and have fun all of your life. And it was becoming a stage where it wasn't so easy to get into college. Even your parents didn't think that it was possible for many parents. Try and remember, all many of the schools in the South were either, in the black colleges, were sister schools. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they didn't offer scholarships. They, off, they offered you uh, a, a situation where you could try out. Many thousands of kids would go to colleges in the South and some of the black schools, and they'd go home. Lacey Brown was one that came from Tillerson College after he couldn't make it there came to Bethune Cooking College where I had where I had come and found that uh, uh, that he had to make the team. They have a tryout. And all those that didn't make it didn't get a meal ticket or, or whatever, you were sent back home. Now here in the city, people still don't understand. The, the five schools we have, these great schools, part time scholarships. There were no full scholarships. Plus, part-time scholarship wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to get away from my home. I didn't like living in a house where there was roaches and rats and whatever. So my choice was to go anywhere, once again, rather than stay in that quagmire in South Philly. So here I am sitting in an ideal place where they didn't have dormitories at Temple. There were no... Dormitories at LaSalle, Al Lewis, and all those guys, they had to commute. Now, here I was given in high school. My daddy says, I want you, at that time, he said, Look, you get out of high school, you just go get a job. There was no forward thinking, there was no idea that college was possible. And to talk about a scholarship, and I'm going to have to pay car fare, and I had to be given lunch money for another four years. Nobody offered me a scholarship. Not one. Not one in this city. And as I say, not even a part-time scholarship. Try to remember Jay Norman and all those guys. They they were either on a part-time with work study and given a laundry uh, fee of about $15 a month or whatever. But there were no campuses. And certainly there were no black players at, at Villanova. There were no black players at Penn. To my knowledge, and only LaSalle may have had them. And Temple. Jackie Moore. 
Jackie Moore was the first. He was also the first to play with the Warriors mm -hmm. as a black player. And then uh, at uh, uh, Vernon Young mm -hmm. was the other one uh, who was the first black player to play on Temple's basketball team. But that was all mm -hmm. part-time. So I couldn't afford it. So when uh, 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 the coach from Bethune-Cookman came to Philadelphia and told me he was taking me down, I packed my bags immediately. After that, Big House comes here looking for me one day late. And that's why Big House used to say to me, doggone it, I missed you. You should have been playing for me. You should have been. I said, well, you came a day late. <laughs> John McClendon, all of our great coaches, Hall of Famers, great guys. John, and I missed out playing for them. John, what kind of player were you at Bethune Cookman? Well, uh, at the time, Hopkins was one of the top scorers in the country at Grambling. Yeah, Bob Hopkins. Bob Hopkins, great player. And I think he ended up with, ended up with Syracuse Nationals mm -hmm. later on. Played in the NBA for a long time. Yeah. And see, that's when they had five or six, seven drafts. Now mm -hmm. they only have a first and second round. These mm -hmm. had seven drafts. And I think I was drafted by the, by, the, by the Celtics or the Syracuse. I'm not sure now. But that was way up, fourth or fifth round or whatever. So the Globetrotters came and got me. But I was like a, I was a black All-American that time. But they didn't keep stats. I mean, I scored well over 2,000 points uh, in the four years that I was in school. And uh, But the only way you could find out what you were or what scores you made, there was an old, old uh, black paper, both uh, the Pittsburgh uh, Courier or either Chicago uh, Tribune or something like that. And you had to go to the library. Washington, D.C. used to have the Afro-American. Afro-American, yeah. And, and the paper had it, news for and about colored people. So the only way we could get it is you had to go to the library, and the paper would come the following week in the library. So your news that you got was always late. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the black, one of the things about the black colleges was that they established their own schedule. They said, well, I'm playing this team, that team, that team, so that they could get to Tuskegee, where many of the championships were held at Tuskegee in the SIC, that's the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, uh, where uh, all of them now has, has, has become mixed into what they call the SWAC and the MEAC. But we were in the SIAC, which was before. And uh, all those schools, I played against teams like Texas Southern with uh, Woody Salisbury and those guys. Another guy, he played here, he played here in, in Philadelphia. He was a rookie of the year one year. Mm -hmm. And then Andy Johnson, who came out of California, mm -hmm. he was in the, he was with the Globetrotters at the same time uh, as I. But uh, I think what happened then uh, is that uh, Jerry Rulo used to play with the, and Stan Novak, who used to play with uh, uh, Penn, they came to me and said, uh, we want you to come back home. You can teach during the weekdays and you can play in the Eastern Pro League for, uh, uh, and, and gain some salary. So I came back, became a substitute teacher, and then uh, later on became a permanent teacher because the Eastern League was on the weekend. So I left Chicago where we're staying. Yeah, who, who did you play with in Eastern? Oh, my God. Uh, Allentown. Well, we played that. 
we played against. I played with Sunbury. Sunbury, yeah. Yeah. And I when they drafted, well, when they drafted you, uh, they said three people. You know, they, they they traded three people to get you. Mm -hmm. And I said, for what? <laughs> what the devil they trade three people to get George? George is going to take all the shots out of the air and put them in the basket, and I don't get traded for my basket. <laughs> I said, he's a little baby, a baby Will. Because that's what Will had. He had the best of all worlds because he could take your shot offensively. You could shoot it from the corner. There wasn't no offensive goaltending. When these guys played, there wasn't no offensive. They could take your shot out there and say, well, I'm going to put it. Or, or, guide, or, you, or you'd guide it the rest of the way toward the rim <laughs> and put it in the basket. Those were the days when the rules <laughs> were, were no rules. And then all of a sudden they'd say, we gotta stop these guys. So they enlarged the pivot from six feet to twelve feet. Then they went into offensive goaltending and defense. But some people think that Russell was no, that was Will. Yeah. I tell people all the time, John, Will constituted more rule changes than any player in the history of the Absolutely. game. Absolutely. Yeah, he couldn't follow see he was a bad foul shooter, but I think a great deal of that was uh psychological because I remember them hiring they one time they hired a a person to hypnotize Will, because he tried this side of the uh, foul line, that side, back up. He tried to jump shoot. He tried to look ahead. Yeah. He tried everything. And then he would shoot it and go across the line and get it on rebound. <laughs> so, so what they did was, they said, gee, uh, let's hire somebody to teach. You can't. Come on, man. You got, you got the recruiter shooter. You don't go around hiring. They hire you as a coach, and you go hire somebody else to teach somebody how to shoot in the NBA, they don't do that. You got to get talent. Heck with that. So with Wilt, they had to come up with, you can't cross that foul line until the ball hits, oh, the, hits the basket. So all the rule book was changed. Same thing, John, you could, because if you remember at Overbrook, that you used to be able to take the ball out of bounds behind the backboard. And at Overbrook, they would stand Wilt in the lane, throw the ball over the top of the, 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 the backboard. Wilt would catch it and dunk it. So, 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 now they, so then they said, okay, that's it. You can't take the ball out behind the backboard anymore. <laughs> but he, he still would grab. I mean, you talk about grabbing shots out the air. That was that was Wilt. And it was quite an athlete because, you know, he participated in track. He was high jumper. And... Uh, he, he sometimes he, I could see pictures. You could see pictures of him when he played with Kansas. You'd find him bringing the ball, leading the leading the break, bringing the ball up and faking it over here and passing it over there. You know, but those are the kind of guys that we found. Uh, uh, you know, the jumpers. This this man was a leaper, and uh, you know I can remember one time we're playing uh, not too far from the Mallory Playground. Now we're playing outside. And George, it was George basketball. So George, <laughs> you need to stop telling this story because it's a lie. We we got tired of George. Every time somebody Al Lewis, me and Al Lewis, got together, said we got to stop George. George is George is on our team. He's taking the ball and taking all of our shots out the air. I said, time out, man. He says, I said you can't do that, George. We got to you got to. He says. I'm taking my ball. So he was grabbing his ball and said, damn that, give me that ball. Go sit up on the hill. He would have sat up on the hill, wiping his face like this. We wouldn't let him quit. 
talk about fun. It was, <laughs> but there was great respect, even with a great deal of, uh, uh, you know, uh, arguments and discussions and disagreement. We had respect for each other at all times. When, when one guy said, uh, we're going to meet here, we're going to do this, everybody was just standing on a dime. Ah.